BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. It was actually kind of an interesting opportunity. Not many organizations, especially healthy ones, at 17 years old decide to change their name. I mean, you'd, you'd have to you'd get rocks in your head if you do that. That was that, that'd be dumb. From the Fox 6 Studios, this is definitely Milwaukee. Conversations with the movers and shakers that put our slice of Wisconsin on the map in the worlds of entertainment, business, sports, and more. I'm Carl Deffenbaugh. City is about more than just beer, and Colectivo is the cream that's risen to the top of the coffee scene. From their Humboldt Ave roasting facility, co-founder Lincoln Fowler and I discussed how a failed speaker business became a caffeinated institution, and how the company's gamble in switching from Altera to Colectivo paid off with the thriving, expanding business we know today. We didn't sell the farm, we bought more seed. Plus, from Central and South America to Rwanda and Sumatra, amazing stories from trips that connect Milwaukee to the world. We'll also have the Fox six-pack of questions with our movie man, Gino Salamone. But first, let's pour a fresh cup and get to our conversation with Colectivo's Lincoln Fowler. We're joined uh, by Lincoln Fowler, one of the co-founders of Colectivo Coffee here in their River West location, where it is, uh, as always, I'm sure, a very busy day. The roasting happening uh, right below us here on the first level. What is the the daily operation like, Lincoln? And first of all, thanks a lot for joining us. Uh, pleasure to be here. Thanks very much. Um, well, the company is, um, for the economic students out there, it's a... Uh, somewhat vertically integrated. So uh, we source and import uh, green coffee, which is the raw coffee. We roast that product here at uh, the Humboldt facility. Um, But there's also baking and food preparation occurring at our bakery facility down in Bayview. Um, And all of that product, the the baked goods, the muffins and the cookies and the, the burritos and the sandwiches, and the coffee all feed into the retail uh, uh, portion of what we do. Uh, so that's, of course, the way most people know us as the retail presentation. You come into the cafe, get a get an espresso or a, a cup of coffee or a muffin. Um, but there's a lot of work that kind of leads up to what occurs in the cafe. So we, we like to think we're kind of relaxed guys, but I think we're kind of control freaks uh, because we want to make sure that every component of what we do uh, we have control over and that we can innovate and guarantee quality. So that's led us to do not only the roasting, but the baking and the food preparation and all the rest. I'm sure that's what's made you guys so successful over the years, too, which we'll get into a little bit here. Uh, I wanted to start with this, though. Uh, Milwaukee, of course, known as Brew City for the beer history and everything like that. But I've had a number of people tell me this is one of the best coffee cities in the in the country as well. They would put you guys and some of the other great companies here uh, up with any of them. Have you kind of seen, I'm, I'm sure, first of all, you probably agree with that, but what is it about Milwaukee that makes this city so great for coffee, a different kind of brew? Well, I think... Uh, it's actually kind of interesting. I mean, Milwaukee is certainly it's a, it's it's not a primary city like New York, New York or Los Angeles, and it's not even kind of in that secondary category, which might be a, a Denver or or cities of that size. We're kind of in that tertiary, that third uh, layer. 
in terms of scale. Um, and I have done a lot of traveling across the U.S. and internationally, and it's surprisingly difficult to find great coffee. Uh, and I think Milwaukee has, has a blessing, many blessings in, in terms of the great coffee that's here. There are many companies. Some of those companies were actually founded by people that used to work for us. Uh, so we've, we've been doing this for now 20, is it 26 years? I think it's 26 years. And I think, uh, I think, you know, partly because we started this thing 26 years ago, but we've been able to build on that and other companies built on that. And I think we just, we were fortunate to have so many great companies doing good work. One of the things that's been fun to find out from doing a, a few of these other podcasts around town is places like the Riverside, places like Fiserv Forum actually have full-time baristas in their locations for the different acts and tours that come through and yep. they serve Colectivo coffee. Yep. So what is that like for you to know that some of the biggest names in, in the business in arts and entertainment get to experience you guys as part of their taste of Milwaukee? Well, that's part of, uh, part of the unofficial mantra in the organization, uh, which is we never met an idea we didn't want to complicate. Um, the, the, what you're referring to is the backstage barista program. Uh, and that's one of those very innovative although difficult, um, things that we like to do. We're, we're big music fans, and now you can go to one of, our, one of the Paps Theater venues, which is the back room at Colectivo, um, and see a show there. But we've had a, a longstanding relationship with the Paps Theater, and part of that relationship to enhance that is trying to figure out a way that we can do a, what I call an exchange of value. Um, and let's kind of pull that one apart just for a moment. Sure. Um, at the, as you pointed out, there are actually baristas in tiny little microscopic Colectivo cafes at the Paps Theater, at the Riverside Theater, at Turner Hall, and of course the back room kind of takes care of itself since it's fronted by a cafe. But we've installed these micro cafes in the green room uh, so the performers can get a great cup of coffee or an espresso uh, when, before they perform. And there's all kinds of value tied into that. The Paps Theater likes it because they want to take great care of their performers. They want to have those, those performers to have a great experience, so they want to come back. So the Paps Theater actually, in addition to coffee, they provide great food. They do all kinds of stuff. So the Paps Theater is a real draw for performers. They want to perform there. And clearly the performers are getting something out of this because, hey, who doesn't want your own personal barista? You know, that's, that's pretty cool. And a Colectivo gets something out of this too uh, because oftentimes the, the performer will be literally on stage before or during the performance and talk about the great cup of coffee that he just had. And, of course, he mentions Colectivo and the crowd ah, goes wild because they just said their favorite cafe's name. There are lots of little exchanges of value. Or, and I missed one. The barista itself, of course, they get paid for their work, but who doesn't want to go hang out with some national act that you, of course, you like because you signed up for this, this, this barista program. So this is just one of those community uh, relationships that we try to nurture. Um, and what I love about that relationship is that there are so many threads of value that are flowing to different parties. Yeah. Um, and it's just, it's a whole lot of fun. Yeah. But it is complicated. We, of course, administering that is no small task. And I think I heard a number uh, a, a quarter or two ago, one of our meetings that we had done, I think, 350 or three, I don't know. It was an extraordinary number of shows. So we were deploying baristas to the Riverside or to Turner Hall or to the, the, the Paps Theater um, for all of these shows. So managing that is a real yeah. 
pain in the neck. Uh, but the benefits, I think, outweigh the trouble. Yeah, win, 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 win. Yes, for ex- exactly. Many, uh, exactly. There are connected. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe it's fitting. I was going to ask a little bit about the history of the company, and apparently, it started with with speaker systems, right? So there's at least some music audio tie oh, yeah. there to the origins of the company. Yeah, absolutely. For people who aren't familiar, uh, what did you and your brother do before this whole coffee thing got off the ground? Well, we had a long time passion for for music, and and as it turns out, musical reproduction. Um, and for those of you that that don't have a visual on this, the I donated my left thumb to that uh, that project, the, the dangers of woodworking. We were uh, fresh out of college, at least I was. My brother's two and a half years older, uh, and we moved back to Milwaukee and pursued something that we had done since teenagers, which is design, build, uh, and sell loudspeakers. Which you know these days it's kind of it, they're practically an anachronism. Uh, most people are putting their speakers directly in their ears, right. so people walking around with earbuds. Um, so that was not exactly a growth industry. And in fact, uh, although that, that company failed, Fowler Audio, that's why you don't see it in stores. Um, but it did teach us a lot about running a business and working very hard and trying to, trying to you know, make, make something go. And in, in that case, obviously, it didn't work. But our manufacturing plant, the, if you can call it that, it was a modest wood shop, was in some really inexpensive real estate, which placed us on the a floor of a manufacturing building in proximity to who is our new partner, our, our new 26-year-old partner, okay. uh, Paul Miller. Uh, so it's the three of us that run Colectivo, but it was through the perhaps the failed loudspeaker company that we actually got connected with our future partners. So it was a it was a win in the end. What was it about the coffee industry or our cafe industry that that attracted you besides maybe I'm assuming just a love of coffee? Well, there was a real love of coffee and a real requirement for coffee uh, back then. I mean, if you're the listeners can kind of put this together for themselves. If you're if you're running a failing loudspeaker manufacturing company, it's not actually generating any income. Right. It's actually consuming money. So to keep a roof over our heads, I had to work 20 or 30 hours in addition to what we were doing in the manufacturing. So I was bartending. I was a terrible bartender, but I was bartending to keep a roof over our heads. Ward was waiting tables at Elsa's. Lots of people know Elsa's. So he put in many years at Elsa's. Um, And what this all kind of sums up to when you're working like 40 or 50 hours a week manufacturing speakers that aren't selling and then 20 or 30 bartending, you're short on something and that's sleep. And so when you're working around power tools and I'm looking back at my thumb over here, <laughs> when, you're, exactly, <laughs> well, when you're working around power tools and you're short on sleep, it's not a real safe program. So we literally were engaged in coffee for the, the very utilitarian requirement of staying awake. Uh, but we did love coffee, and um, actually, our relationship with Paul kind of grew up um, listening to music and drinking coffee, um, and those were the two components. In fact, Paul is, uh, I think, historically the best customer of Fowler Audio. He bought three different sets of speakers to give to his brothers. So there are loudspeakers out there of Fowler Audio manufacturer, and they're out in the West Coast and East Coast and, and other places. A nice so. collector item there. As it's someone who works nice. on a morning newscast, I can, I can tell you that our coworkers very much appreciate uh, oh, the yeah. product <laughs> that you do and the need for caffeine. It's as critical. Well, the, it's the critical. Hours. Uh, going forward a little bit, uh, 
uh, there's sort of this great flashpoint in the company. Uh, for me, I've been in Milwaukee about three and a half years now, almost four. For me, it's always been Colectivo. Yep. I talked to my cousin who used to work for Kohl's here, and he asked me about, oh, you've been to the Altera by the lakefront. It's yep. this great transition. What, 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 what? Yeah, I'm like, wait, i got to learn about all this. Uh-huh. And of course, so many people know it as Altera because that's what sure. it was for so long. Uh, for anyone who's, who's not familiar, could we get into a little bit about that relationship, uh, the partnership with the Mars company and mm-hmm. how this uh, fork in the road really happened for the company? You know, I... Yeah. I think you have to look at this uh, in the greater context. I mean, for Ward, Paul, and I, we had started this company from zero and had had pushed it along and grow, grew the company for 17 years. Um, and one day, um, unbeknownst to us, the Mars organization, I'll, I'll back up just a little bit, the Mars organization had been doing uh, single-serve coffee for a long time. Lots of people know single-serve coffee through the Keurig product, right? Um, and the, the Mars organization also had some single-serve technology, but felt like uh, they really needed to infuse um, some specialty coffee into that into that brand uh, to make it more successful. So they did what multinationals do. They go shopping for a company to buy, right? Well, the, when people walk through your door at 17 years of running a business and say, you know, hey, we'd, we'd love to buy your organization, it is ultimately kind of flattering. You know, they... It, it told Ward, Paul, and I that we'd built something that was attractive enough that some multinational actually wanted to walk in the door and, and buy the organization. No one did that for the speaker company. No, right? no one did that for the speaker company, for sure. Um, but ultimately, when we really thought about this and what was going to, what we thought would happen to the company if we did sell the company, um, we figured it would fundamentally change what was going on. They would probably shut down parts of the bricks and mortar in, in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, because if you think about it, a multinational is really thinking globally. They're not thinking about the local marketplace of Milwaukee. So ultimately, we had to tell them, no, you couldn't buy the company. And it was then that we discovered what a powerful negotiating tactic saying no is. Um, they really were motivated to acquire some component of what we did uh, and infuse their coffee program with especially coffee aura. Um, and ultimately, what we convinced them, and they obviously agreed, that what they wanted to do actually was to buy the brand. Uh, and I like to say we sold them seven letters of the alphabet, um, and which actually was five letters because there are uh, two R's and two two A's. So we got like a 20% discount right out of the gate. Um, but it was, it was a, it was certainly a roll of the dice because that was going to be a big deal. You know, when we knew from the day we signed the paper, that's eventually we were going to have to change the name of the company because we wanted to reacquire our independence and cut ties with, with the Mars organization. But it also brought a ton of resources from a multinational organization and and inserted it into Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Um, as one of my staff members said, we didn't sell the farm, we bought more seed. Um, and that's really what it was. Because if you dial back and think about when this was going on, this was going on in 2008 and nine. And you know, you guys know what was yeah, going I on was in eight and nine. Find a job yeah, exactly. Yeah. It was financial Armageddon. But also, if you think back, that's when we built the Bayview Bakery. And that's when we built the East Tosa at 68th and Wells store. Yeah. So we were able to take resources coming in from out of, out of state and invest that into Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and, and build and grow the organization at a time when not many people were building or growing anything. Yeah. So it really, ultimately, it, it allowed us to do a lot of things that we wouldn't have otherwise been able to do. Um, and I think 
you know, we can look back at it today with fairly clear vision. You know, hindsight is always twenty twenty, And it seems to have worked out. In fact, the company is larger, uh, it's stronger uh, than it ever was before. And, and we're, we're doing great. And we're very happy with Colectivo. What were those decisions like at the time, though? Because I imagine there, there was a chance that you guys could have, could have sold, could have gone a different direction, anything like that. And I'm sure it would have come in a nice pretty penny as well but sure. the fact that you guys had built this i imagine there was that ownership that you did want to keep absolutely keep involved yeah i were uh totally invested in the organization and and uh we are uh we value what we built and we wanted to keep what we built uh and but we saw an opportunity to create a stronger bigger company yeah. uh so we decided to, to to roll the dice and take that chance and it's it seems to have worked out yeah, no looking back, right? Yeah, absolutely not. I love that quote about the farm and the seed, too. I saw uh-huh. that in some of the things I looked up. Yep. Kind of the reinvestment in, uh, in yep. what you guys have built, absolutely. Yep. One of the things uh, in the name kind of goes to that investment as well, because uh, for people who aren't familiar, what does Colectivo refer to? Right, Colectivos, uh, they're actually things. Uh, uh, Colectivos are uh, little buses. Um, actually, they're often retired school buses from the United States because there's a the school buses in the United States I believe it's once they're either, I think it is 10 years old or 100,000 miles, uh, they have to be retired, mandatory. Uh, They often find their way down into Central and South America, and individuals buy these buses, often paint them with the colors of where they grew up, uh, their native villages, Um, and then they decide that some people from over here need to go over there. So they drive their bus from here to there, and they charge for it. And these are basically rolling little businesses. Um, so these are very entrepreneurial things. There are, there's no public bus service in many of these countries, and the colectivos take the place of that public bus service. So it's, this, it's a bunch of individuals running private little business, businesses by moving people around, getting them from work into a home and all that good stuff. And so colectivos are this kind of gathering point in the community, and it's a central mechanism of, of work in the community. And when it was actually kind of an interesting opportunity not many organizations, especially healthy ones, at 17 years old, decide to change their name. I mean, you'd, you'd have to—you got rocks in your head if you do that. That was—that—that'd be dumb. Uh, but we obviously had an opportunity there to look back at 17 years old and say, "Who are we?" Because Altera was a—that was a made-up word um, that we came up with. Uh, uh, actually, this is kind of a. The, interesting historical anecdote. Most people think we changed our name once. In fact, we have changed our name twice. Ah. The original name of the company, which lasted for all of about four months, was Altura, A-L-T-U-R-A, Altura Coffee. Uh, And Altura is Spanish for altitude. And great coffee is grown at altitude. I think most people know that. And we thought, that's great. It's, you know, the Latin countries are where a lot of our coffee comes from. We were going to take this Latin word, Altura, and marry it up with coffee, and we're going to be Altura Coffee. Well, it took about 60 or 90 days until we went shopping one day and saw a bag of Altura Coffee on the Uh-oh. shelf, and it wasn't ours. This is pre-internet. You know, you can't just Google back right. then. You had to do a name search with the law firm, and we were too cheap to do that. So we were like, oh, my gosh, there's already an Altura Coffee out there. we got to change our name. So we Before act- we get sued. Or- Before we get sued, exactly. So we morphed Altura into Altera, which I think is actually a better name anyway. Uh, and that's when we became Altera Coffee. So we've actually changed our name twice. Hmm. Um, but it was this 
17-year period where we got to look back and say who and what are we. And we are kind of a collection point in the community, much like Colectivos are in Central and South America. We are a, a, a small business, much like Colectivos are. Um, so it, it's this community gathering point. It's a it's a you know a component of work, just like you noted. The the morning team loves their coffee because it helps get them going for work. So when we thought about you know what is this name that we're going to call ourselves, the Colectivo, those are such a key component in the coffee producing countries and represent small business and entrepreneurism. Uh, and community, we thought, what a perfect metaphor for who we are. I think it speaks to some of the larger efforts and the things that you guys have supported, too, in those countries, right? All those direct relationships, the, yes. the fair trade agreements as well. Yes. Why is that such an important part of the business? Because it's not the case for, for other companies, necessarily. There could be cheaper ways or other ways to, to get your coffee beans from those different countries. Yeah, we've... Um, I, I said lightheartedly that we're kind of control freaks, um, and I, I think indeed we are. Um, but I think we're also, I think we like to conduct our business as a reflection of who we are as individuals. And that's kind of, that has created the culture that surrounds this business at this point. Culture really is, in our case, 26 years of accumulated decision making. I mean, that's really what creates culture is, you know, you choose to do this and not that. Um, and I think the decisions we've made about how we source coffee, um, the value we see in engaging with direct relationships, which is partly about quality coffee, it's partly about ha- securing source, but it's also about um, helping to improve the quality of the product overall. And I'm not suggesting that we are somehow the Svengali's of coffee production. The people that grow it know a hell of a lot more than we do. Um, but we have found that sometimes we can be additive to that process and help people move their coffee production from a point of, of good quality to really great quality. So there's, there's that component to the relationship. Um, plus, quite frankly, and I think all the listeners are going to agree, who doesn't want to go travel all across the world and be hosted by super cool people? In fact, right in front of me is a gift uh, that came to us uh, uh, from Rwanda, from one of our friends in Rwanda. Rwanda is now a, a, f- a coffee that we really love and, and bring into the uh, into into the United States. But uh, this woman, Samaya, who's a good friend of ours, is uh, she lives in Rwanda and just sent this along as a gift to us because we had hosted and hung out with her. In fact, uh, my brother uh, named his new dog after after Samaya, so now he has Samaya at home, yeah. with her approval, of course. <laughs> um, but uh, it, I think uh, it's just, we like to have a lot of fun and we like to believe in what we do. Uh, so... I think when you wonder why we're doing the Backstage Barista program, it's because we love music and we love a little complexity. Uh, when you wonder about uh, our friend Samaya in, in Rwanda, uh, it's because uh, we really like her uh, and we really love what's going on in Rwanda. Um, and that, can, that goes for our relationship with the Kulaktik Indians uh, in, in Mexico. It goes with our relationships in Peru and Colombia. I mean, this is just, this is endless. You, can, you could go all day long talking about all of the places and the people and the farmers that we connect with. It's, but it, at the end of the day, it's interesting uh, and it's uh, fulfilling. 
I was going to ask maybe if you have, uh, I certainly can't get into all the stories, which I would love to hear, but uh, maybe a, a favorite one or two that comes to mind from those travels, from those experiences, getting to go all around the world for your work. I actually, I mean, I'm not uh, the green coffee sorcerer. That we have uh, Al Lu, who is one of our longtime staff members. In fact, he was with us, and then he went to Seattle to work for a coffee importer, and then we recruited him back. Um, actually, here's the story. Uh, uh, we decided we really wanted Al back in our employ. Um, Al didn't know this, but at that time, he was working for Atlas Coffee Importers in Seattle, and he had invited us be, uh, to go with him to Sumatra to go visit some of the farms that we buy from. In fact, Sumatra is our largest origin. We buy more coffee from Sumatra than anywhere else. Um, so Ward, Paul, and I um, decided to go to Sumatra. It made our staff very nervous because all three of us were going to be on a plane together. So if the plane went down, right. it was going to be chaos. Um, fortunately, the plane, designated survivor. Ex- rule, we right? did not do a designated that. survivor, uh, but we flew to Sumatra, which I've calculated is pretty much as far as you can go because it's almost on the other side of the globe from us wow. here. So and it, it did take us about three and a half days just to get to where we were going. It was you know. Chicago to Dubai, Dubai to um, uh, to uh, Singapore, Singapore to Medan, Medan wow. overland, and then there was a little ten-person airplane that we got into. Anyway, we got to all the way up into Sumatra, where our coffee comes from, which is very remote. Sumatra is a it's a Indonesia it's part of Indonesia. Um, Indonesia is uh, one of the largest Muslim populations in the world. It's thousands of islands across this archipelago, uh, and I was, you know, I had never been before, so I was. It was. It was going to be a new cultural experience, and of course, the the call to prayer is it permeates life there. So, you know, at five a.m. and eleven a.m. and two p.m. and five p.m., you know, the call to prayer is going on, and one has this image, I think, of of Muslim culture that uh, it's male dominated and the women are are quiet and they're veiled and you know whatever. I, nothing could be further from the truth. We're up there in the highlands of Sumatra and. Uh, there had been a long uh, civil war there, and um, what had occurred is many of the men had been killed. So the coffee farms are largely run by women, um, and these women are they, are they are hilarious. They are funny. They are practically flirtatious. They're just they're so giddy, with, and they were so having fun with us. And Al had been there many times, so they were like, oh, Al, welcome, Al. So they were welcoming Al, and... Uh, we actually uh, we buy a lot of coffee in this from this cooperative, which is all women, all run by women, and in fact managed by a woman. And she hosted us there, uh, and I just think that was one of the most remarkable origin trips that I've been on because it's such a such a different culture, but it also uh, revealed things about that culture that I simply did not anticipate: the the playfulness, the fun. Uh, the fact that these women uh, were so strong and so good at what they did. Uh, in fact, we are occasionally, although most of those women combine their coffee to bring to us, because obviously they're all growing smaller plots and then they put all the coffee together to ship to us. We've identified some of those women as just extraordinary farmers, and we isolate their production from the rest of the the coffee that we get uh, from this organization and bring that in as a pure, what we call a micro lot, uh, because the coffee is of such quality. And when, then we can sell that, and we actually uh, uh, print uh, the labeling with the image of the woman who actually is the farmer of that micro lot. So there are fun things that we can do like that to kind of feature a particular farmer or a particular origin. Uh, but that whole relationship uh, is, uh, is extraordinary. In fact, uh, uh, my partner Paul and our CEO Dan 
uh, just came back, I think it was about a month ago, uh, from another trip to Sumatra. So we, that's an origin we love to go to. It's fascinating, connecting Milwaukee to the other side of the globe yeah, in that way. Yeah, totally. Neat. Uh, one place a little bit closer to home is Chicago, where you guys have moved uh, to a few locations as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, the initial expansion out of Milwaukee was to Madison. A lot of that, of course, helped by the uh, the Mars partnership back yep. in the day. Yep. How do you guys uh, look at the business as being Milwaukee born and raised? The roots are here, obviously, but then still looking to expand, still looking to grow the business to other cities and other places that you can introduce collectivity to the people there. Well, I think um, I conduct uh, uh, part of our new hire orientation, which is our, our new staff members come in and um, they get a little oriented over a day to the company and different components. Um, and I've been doing that class for many years and uh, occasionally in those classes and all the way along, Sometimes the staff members say, wow, I really love this company. I love it just the way it is. I really, I, I, I wish you guys would stop growing because I think it's just perfect. And I've heard that when we were five cafes. I've heard it when we were 10 cafes. I heard it when we were 15 cafes. I've heard it all the way along. And there is one truism in retail that if you stand still, you're dead. Uh, and especially today with the market disruptions that are happening in retail that everybody can see uh, by the, by, at the hands of Amazon or many others. I mean, it's just an Internet-enabled world, and the, the, the nature of retail is changing. So we understand internally we have to continue to grow and develop. And that's partly uh, to continue to innovate, but it is partly to create opportunity in the organization. Opportunity for me because I want to grow. I want to have a growing company opportunity for my staff members so that there are more management positions and more senior level positions that are being created to to run a larger company. Plus, I think if anybody really thinks about it, nobody wants to work in an organization that is static. I, I think everybody wants opportunity, everybody wants to learn, uh, and that means growth. Uh, so uh, we grew into Madison actually as a trial run for Chicago. Our eyes have always been in Chicago, and we wanted to understand in Madison what it meant to transfer our culture 75 miles away, what it meant to support cafes at a distance. Uh, And we we now have three cafes in Madison. I'm certain there will be more. Uh, But we're right now focused in Chicago. There are five cafes there. Uh, We're about to begin building a bakery facility in Chicago because right now Milwaukee supports all of the stores. So every night as we're asleep, (laughs) our vehicles are distributing fresh baked goods out to Madison and down to Chicago from the Milwaukee hub. So it's always been in our mind that as we grow, uh, we're going to need another bakery facility in the Chicago market uh, so that we can better support those stores. Uh, You've been very generous with your time, so I'll try to wrap it up here in a little bit. But a a few other quick questions for you. Maybe Sumatra might be the answer, or Rwanda you mentioned as well. Where do you see a a really interesting place in the world for coffee that maybe isn't as well-known yet, but people will start to find? Uh, it's funny you mentioned Rwanda because um, I, that's a whole story in, unto itself. I think most of the listeners are going to be familiar with the genocide that occurred there, um, which was obviously a, a horrific event. But uh, Rwanda has recovered from that in a remarkable way, and they are very—they're just—they're moving forward in such a constructive uh, fashion. It's just remarkable that that society has been able to heal uh, as effectively as they have. But. Uh, I, I touch on Rwanda, one, because it's a coffee many people have not tried, and they should because it's delicious. Uh, but I also point to it because Ru- the Rwandans, 
you know, they, like many producing countries, are frustrated by the, the vagaries and the waxing and waning of the commodities market. You know, when coffee gets expensive, it's great, and then coffee gets cheaper and it's hard on them. And they would love to develop what they call an internal market. They want to develop coffee consumption within Rwanda itself so that they are partially insulated from the, from the ups and downs of the commodity cycle. So I point to that only as an interest. It's an interesting coffee to discover, but it is also interesting because I think the Rwandans are very sophisticated in trying to develop their own economy, which is really it's about, it's about gorillas and it's about coffee. Uh, and they want to figure out how to um, create a more stable, sustainable e- economy. Uh, part of that is developing an internal coffee com- market in Rwanda itself. Interesting. This might not be uh, quite as serious a question, but between some of the other fun things that you guys have developed and done here in Milwaukee, whether it's beer that you guys produce here, whether it is the concerts at the back room, anything that you're particularly fond of that's been kind of one of those funky creative creations oh, over the years? this is easy. It's the draft beverage program, which is just, just starting to get underway. It's not even in all cafes yet. Yet. And we we have uh, brewed beer, not ourselves personally, but Three Sheeps up in Sheboygan has brewed with us. Uh, but we also brew cold brew coffee. Um, and that is actually, um, I'm a little surprised it's quiet today, the construction is actually currently underway to transform part of the old bakery, which is here at Humboldt, into a brew facility so that we can brew our own cold brew and cold brew extract here at Humboldt, which will then be distributed out to all 20-some cafes. Uh, cold brew coffee is one thing, and nitro nitrogen infused coffee is something. But there all there's also which and it's totally delicious. The oat milk latte that we have, uh, which is nitrogen infused, is totally awesome. Um, I have at my right uh, a glass of uh, uh, sport tea, which is a ginseng uh, uh, based uh, uh, tea beverage. But there are many. There's a lot of innovation going on in tap beverages. So uh, when you're in one of the cafes, look for the taps. Uh, there's some really good stuff on some tap. Great stuff to try. Wonderful. Yep. And then and uh, last question for you. Uh, obviously, coffee is kind of your world and has been for, for many, many years. Once you leave here, when you're outside of work, what are the things that you do to kind of get away and uh, enjoy your time? Well, you know, uh, parents with young children know it's it's all about the kids, mostly. Uh, my daughter is uh, uh, on the robotics team. She is also, she crews. Uh, so she half the time is rowing. And in the wintertime, they row inside. So there's there's rowing year-round. Uh, so we got to be moving her back and forth and then robotics. It's all about robotics. She's going to San Diego. So we, we're going down to San Diego. Uh, and my, my son, uh, is, uh, uh kickboxing and jujitsu and all kinds of other stuff. So it's a lot of uh, kid oriented <laughs> stuff. Uh, personally myself, um, uh, I am, uh, 20 years ago, I have photographs of this. 20 years ago, my wife and I fell in love with an old firehouse. Many East Siders will know this firehouse. It's two blocks west of Comet Cafe. Um, but we en- we wanted to buy it back then, but couldn't, uh, but recently were able to. So we're renovating that into our home. Uh, and we pulled out the flooring in the first floor, and my brother and I are milling that, remilling that material into all the stair treads for the house. So I've got like 200-year-old wood that came out of that, and it's it's beautiful. Um, so all my weekends are now machining material into stair treads, uh, and uh, and then. Uh, to kind of bring this full circle, um, much like the cobbler's children have no shoes, uh, my brother and I never built a pair of speakers for ourselves. Um, so we are, although we're busy with stair treads right now, we're going to pivot to uh, loudspeakers, and we're both building uh, identical pair of really, really, they're sweet. <laughs> <laughs> Finally perfected it. <laughs> well, it's it's nice now to have the resources to yeah. throw at it. So uh, we're pulling out all the stops, and we're going to have some really, really sweet loudspeakers coming in. 
pretty soon. So maybe the return of Fowler Audio. That's right. Uh, well, only yeah. returning to my living room. <laughs> Sounds like you could probably use a cup, cup of coffee or two with yeah. all this going Ab- on. Absolutely. Lots to do. Lincoln, thank you so much. A pleasure. Thank you. It is time now for the Fox 6 pack of questions, a chance to get to know the people you get to see every day on Fox 6. And we are joined by one of the few people whose job I am jealous of, Gino Salamone, our movie guy. Hello, sir. Hi, you're not the first to say that, I'm by the way. I'm sure. <laughs> I'm sure you make a lot of people envious with all your travels gallivanting around with the stars. So this is going to be a series of six questions okay. for you. First one, besides the job, and I know you have a lot of them, but your job here with us. Right. What was it about Milwaukee that that drew you here, that's kept you here all these years? I grew up here, and I have such an affection for this town. I will probably never leave. When I say that, I'm going to get a job offer right. and leave in the next two weeks. But no, <laughs> I, I just I think there's so much to offer here. The only thing, the winter is tough. Otherwise, I brought someone here from out of town in the summer, and they're like, oh, my God, this is the greatest place in the world. It is. Every week there's a festival. Everywhere, you know, there's something to do. A great restaurant town. I love this city. And one of the things I love from your interviews uh, for all the movies you get to cover, you you ask people about Milwaukee. You preach Wisconsin to yes. so many of those celebrities. Yes. And sometimes they'll just look at me blankly when I say Milwaukee, <laughs> and then I, I say, you know, the Paris of the Midwest. And they're like, really? I say, no, I just I try to dress it up a little bit. <laughs> there you go. But yeah, no, I like to spread the word about what a good place this is. Well, outside of work and outside of home and all your travels, right. where are we most likely to find you when you are in town here popping around? Okay, anyone who looks at my Facebook page will laugh. Probably out in nature looking for birds, taking pictures of birds. I, I need that and I love that. That is my... That is my favorite thing to do. I love that. You might we need to uh, get connected with our new meteorologist, Eric Mangus. He's something messaged of a naturalist. me about yeah. this. Yes, he's seen some of the photos that I've taken, and he wants to. Uh, fine, I love that. I want to. I want to know more. I want to learn more about how to photograph better. I like it. All right. Next question for you: What and where was the last great meal you had around the area? All right. There's a cafe in Jefferson, Wisconsin, called the Bonton Cafe, and they do home dishes that I never had growing up because I was Italian, but they do a turkey pot pie soup with a little thing, a disc on the top. Oh boy, really good. <laughs> really like it. Yeah. Just gets going. Huh? Yeah, and, and I like the drive out there. And again, it's nice. just that that peacefulness. Because I travel so much, I like to be able to slow things down. That's a, a good recommendation. I'll have to add that to my list that I've uh, done with this. Okay, the next question is probably the one that everyone else struggles with the most, but right. interesting for you. We'll see how you do. I'm afraid. Who plays you in a movie? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Brad Pitt, of course. I mean, that, no, have you told I, him that? <laughs> I did once. He was wearing the same glasses that I had on for the interview, and I said, "You know, they won't let me wear the glasses." And he's like, "Why?" I said, "Because they couldn't tell us apart." And he just looked at me for a second, not getting that I was joking. But <laughs> boy, I I do not know an actor who would. I'm not even a character actor. Uh, I hate to say this. In Italy, they thought I was Danny Aiello. So let's go with that. <laughs> I like that. That's He's dead. No, oh, I don't like that. Oh. He's dead. Oh, never mind. <laughs> Sad. All right. If we stump the movie guy with that question, maybe it is actually the hardest one. Uh, what is a talent or skill that we should really know about that maybe we don't get to see on air? I don't know if it's a talent or if you've heard me do it. It's really not a talent, but I play the accordion. And I've played the accordion since I was a little boy. Don't play it much. It sits in my basement. But uh, 
when I was on WKTI radio, we used to do this thing called play the, name that poorly played tune. So I would play a pop song on the accordion, <laughs> and we would go weeks sometimes before people would guess what the song was. Supposed so was to that be. more about your playing or more about the I, translation? No, of the it's accordion? more about the playing. Believe me. <laughs> uh, since that is a little off the uh, beaten instrument path, how did you pick it up, and what is challenging about the accordion? It's a dark, dark story. I was locked in the basement. I'm not kidding. As a child, I didn't want to play. My parents made me play, and thus. That's why I don't love it. <laughs> That's why I'm not good at it. I got such, I was such a rebel. I actually recorded myself on a cassette player and I'd go downstairs and I'd hit play and I'd sit back, arms crossed across my chest and just defiant that, okay, you're not going to get me. <laughs> Finally, after a few weeks, they kept hearing the same mistakes like, Wait a and they realized, okay, something's going on. He's really not <laughs> picking up that one. Exactly. <laughs> so don't force kids to do anything. Okay. Let them find their passion and pursue it. <laughs> a good lesson in life there. All right. Last question for you. What is the most random job you've ever heard, had? A random job? I would say I sold shoes at Kinney's Shoe Store at Northridge Mall. And it was not R.I.P. Northridge Mall. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Also. The late, great Northridge Mall. I was not good at it. I didn't like taking shoes off and smelly feet, but I had to do it. And it was not fun. Not fun. Well, somehow you managed it was to random. get your way here. <laughs> yeah, that is yes. pretty random. I lived the suffering so that I could have the good job there eventually that I have here. Well, Pacific. I don't know if I'm allowed to do this or not. Can I throw in a baker's half dozen question Why since not? we do have you? What is maybe one story that, that you always go to about just how – on how ridiculous your job has turned out to be. I would say probably the Sandra Bullock story that Let's people have tired of. No, the first time I interviewed her, she was flirting with me, which shows she's a good actress because <laughs> who would flirt with me? And at the end of it, I said, uh, you know, I've seen Demolition Man speed while you were sleeping. Now the net. I said, will you marry me? She said, yes, if I can decorate the house and pick where we live. So she was on Letterman the next night. A friend of mine booked the guests on Letterman, went into her dressing room. Her parents were there, and she, the, she said, I heard you're engaged to my friend Gino. And she looked at her parents and said, I was going to tell you guys, but I was waiting for the right moment. So <laughs> she has a great sense of humor. That's amazing. Yes. Meanwhile, she told her parents that she was marrying Danny Aiello, right? <laughs> <laughs> Gina, the late Danny Aiello. Yeah. I look like a dead man. <laughs> That's it for another edition of Definitely Milwaukee. Thank you once again to Lincoln Fowler and Gino Salamone for the great stories on this episode. And a big thank you to two people behind the scenes you don't hear from, Sarah Smith and Dave Machuda who make this podcast possible. If you'd like more from Definitely Milwaukee or from Open Record, the podcast with the Fox 6 investigators, please leave us a rating and a review as that really helps get things going. And a reminder that all episodes of each of those podcasts available anytime at fox6now.com.